0: All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I saw a video this week. It was 2008 Big Ten Championship of the Indoor Track Meet. Heather Dornenden is picked as a favorite to win it. It's three laps. And as it comes around to the last lap, just right at the beginning of the lap, she's taking the lead. And just as she takes the lead, she trips and she falls. And the person from Penn State actually kind of hurdles her to, in order for her not to trip and keeps going. And so she falls face down on the ground. The entire pack passes her. And she bounces back up and takes off running. And the announcers are already saying, you know what, boy, that's, that's going to cost her. At least she's not hurt and wounded and laying there, but that's going to cost her. But you know what, in the meantime, her teammate has taken the lead, so maybe at least their team, and they, they ran for the University of Minnesota, at least their team may still win this race. And about the time he finishes that statement, you see her kick it into gear, and she comes cruising up the backstretch, and she is gaining rapidly And they're like, wow, she might catch that next person. She may catch the leader. And just as they get to the finish line, she passes the leader and she still wins the race. It was a phenomenal sight. She tripped and she fell. She still got up and she won the race. And that that just really illustrates what's going on. These people were tripping. They were stumbling in their faith. And the rider wants for them to be able to pick it up and to finish the race. In fact, to do it well, to do it with endurance. And that's what we looked at last time as we considered the race that God called us to run and are running that race with endurance. Well, it's right on the tails of that. He's going to switch analogies as we go forward here a little bit, but it's, it's still that same concept. In fact, in verse 7, he brings up that idea of endurance. The reason that he's bringing it up is because these people are experiencing suffering. Late into chapter 10, he listed different things that they would experienced. They'd experienced a confiscation of their property, of their homes. Some of them had been experienced imprisonment. Some people had experienced public humiliations, beatings. They'd suffered a lot of different persecutions. It would affect all of us. But especially for those people in their culture, remember these are Jewish Christians, so these people were brought up in Jewish homes, that would cause a lot of anxiety in trying to see how you fit into God's plan. The reason for that is, all throughout Israel's history as a nation, they were involved in a covenant relationship with God. And that covenant was, God said, you remain faithful to me. I'm remaining faithful to you. As you worship me and serve me, I will bless you. In fact, the blessings that would come upon Israel would be recognized by other nations to be be like a demonstration of how God can bless a nation. But God said, if you turn your back and walk away... I will give you to your enemies and allow them to come in and have them come in and take over. Israel went through a cycle in their history of doing that. At times they would repent of their sins and they would be blessed by God, but they never could handle success very well or for very long. And so they would end up turning on God and going and worshiping other gods. And so God would withdraw His blessing and then their enemies would come in and take over them. And so for them, for these Jewish people, their whole mindset was very much a, if you're doing good, You're blessed by God. If things aren't going well in your life, you must be doing something wrong. That's why people ask, remember Jesus was asked at one time when He came across the guy that had been blind from birth? And since he'd been blind from birth, it caused a little bit of confusion. And so they asked Him, whose sin resulted in his blindness? Was it his or his parents? Because if he's been blind from birth, he couldn't have even sinned yet before he was blind. That's just the way they thought. If somebody's blind, somebody must have sinned that God's punishing him for that. And Jesus said, neither. Neither his parents sinned nor him that God resulted in his blindness. But he's actually blind so that he can bring glory to God. And then Jesus healed him and brought glory to God. But that's their mindset now. So you put yourself in their place. As a Jewish person, you've become a Christian. You've been looking forward to the Messiah your whole life. You believe you've found Him, Jesus Christ. You put your faith and trust in Him. And now that you put your faith and trust in Him, everything's falling apart. You've maybe had your home confiscated or you're sitting there in prison. Your friends have forsaken you because you're, you've left their faith. Your family maybe even have forsaken you. And so now your life feels like it's crumbling. It seems like it's fallen apart, but you're doing what's right. You're, you're, you've accepted the Christ. Shouldn't you be more than ever blessed in your life? But you know what? That's, that's a, that's a problem that not just Jewish people deal with. We all deal with it. In fact, it's one of the biggest philosophical discussions and theological discussions that's out there. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then why do we have harmful things in the world that we experience? The Bible gives us an answer for that. It's because we rebelled against God and brought sin into this world. Exactly what God warned us would happen and, and tried to keep us from doing. Well, but then what about Believers. I've talked to people before that, that are dealing with an illness and they think, you know what, because I'm sick, what, what, what am I doing wrong? What is God punishing me for? Why do I, why do I have this? So why can't I get healthy when I'm worshiping God? I'm living by His principles. I'm trying to do right. Why would He allow me to suffer this? And you know what? That's exactly as they're suffering, that's what they're experiencing. Maybe Jesus wasn't the way. Do we go back to that old temple that's still there and the sacrifices that are there? At least then we get our friends and family back. Life kind of returns to normal. That's exactly what he's dealing with as he goes through this passage. And he's going to try to explain to them why they're experiencing the things that they're experiencing. The first realm that he deals with is he deals with their perspective. He says this is the perspective that we should have with suffering. If we're living for Christ, if we're trying to be faithful to God and follow His commands and be um, walking with Him, but we're still but we're experiencing suffering in our life what how do we see that how do we understand that how do we come to grips with that god how could you let me lose those finances god how could you let my health fail how could you let my children to be influenced and i watch them walk away how could you how could you how could you how could you this is the answer to those and the way that we look at it, he wants them to be able to see things clearly, to understand why we experience things the way we do in this world at times. The first thing that he leads them through is a reality check. Because, you know, we all have a tendency to kind of magnify our distresses, magnify our situation, whether for good or for bad. We have a tendency to exaggerate a little bit. And the first thing that he does is he kind of brings them down to reality. He says, look, you've not yet resisted unto blood. You haven't paid for this with your life. Now, when you stop and think about it, you just th- think, well, that's all you've got? <laughs> you <know? laughs> I mean, because they are. Some of these people are in prison. Some of them are, not, are homeless. Some of them, you know, I mean, they may not be homeless. They might be with another Christian family. But, but they're not in their home, having their goods confiscated. Some of them have been through beatings. Some of them have been through some real struggles. And he tells them, well, you're not dead. Oh, We've got to have more to go on than that, don't we? And, and he does. But you know what? He is making a point. Many of the people that he just used as examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 did suffer death. Did pay for their faith with their lives. And the supreme example that he just mentioned, he says, let's look, take a look at Jesus. Let's consider Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. So Jesus did suffer to the point of shedding his blood, to the point of losing his life. And remember that we need to keep that close in connection for the joy It was set before Him. In other words, Jesus has something better out of His death. Looking to that joy of delivering us. It's the same with us. If our faith leads us to a place where it costs us our health, you know what? You're better off with Jesus and poor health than you are without Him and in good health. If our faith leads us to a place where it costs us our home or our finances, you're better off with Jesus than you are with Secure finances. If our faith leads us to a place where we lose relationships over our walk with God, we're better off with Jesus than we are with those damaged or lost relationships. We're better off for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross. We are pointed to a greater joy, a greater joy that we will experience through Christ than anywhere without Him. And so there is an element where he's saying, look, you haven't yet resisted unto blood. You know what? It was, a, it was an honor for those people to die for Christ. But you know what? Anything that you experience because of your faith that you lose on, you win. It's an honor for you to suffer those kinds of losses. And so he's kind of bringing them back to that reality. On the one hand, he's letting them know, look, you haven't paid with your life like so many others have. And so many others even are today. And at the same time, he's, he's bringing it to their attention that, you know what? It is an honor. For you to do that if it comes to that point. And so he's kind of helping them to get refocused or recentered, to get, a, get their perspective back where it needs to be. The next thing that we see is he helps them in understanding our position. Because they're looking at the things that are happening to them and saying, if all these things are happening to me, maybe God's not pleased with me. Maybe this whole Jesus thing isn't working. My life was pretty smooth before, but now it's not smooth anymore. And so maybe maybe God's not happy with me. If you think about it, we get into kind of a pagan mindset when we do that. Now I'm not saying that uh, when things go wrong in our life that it's not a it's it's not a bad time to evaluate and say well, how am I doing? Am I walking with Christ? Am I am I am I following Him closely or am, am I drifted? Is God trying to get my attention? That's fine to do those kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, the pagan religions of old, they looked at at God's as vindictive. Well, you're always offering up these sacrifices to bring appeasement because, of, because He was like angry with you all the time and just looking for the opportunity to grind you into dust. But God is not that way. In fact, a, a, a lot of times we, we, can, we can wander off the path and God is very patient with us in bringing us back. More patient than we deserve. But as we look at this, He's writing to us and He says, your, your perspective needs a change here. You need to understand that it could be that because of these things, the reason you have these is because God is pleased with you. You ever thought that? Has anything ever gone wrong in your life? Some, something big, something tragic happens? And you think, boy, maybe, maybe I just finally am approved by God. I don't think you ever have. I know I haven't. Our mind doesn't go there. When things start falling apart, we think, what have I done wrong? How, how, am, I, how am I blowing it? Not how am I putting it all together. But you know what? That's exactly the point in the passage is that he says it's because it could be because of our relationship with the father that we're experiencing some of the hardships that we're experiencing. Notice what it says. He says in verse five, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises Every son whom he receives. That word discipline. You realize in these few verses that we're looking at here today, the word discipline shows up nine times. So it's, it's a primary focus here. And what is this point? Is that when you discipline children, whose children do you discipline? Yours. You don't discipline the neighbor's kids, though you might like to once in a while. You discipline your kids. Those are the ones that you take care of. Those are the ones that you're responsible for. And that's, and that's what it's, he's saying here. Is He says, look, God disciplines us, and, he, and he's really emphatic about it, that it happens to every child. Notice in, in verse 6 there, we already saw where it says, "...for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives." Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? In other words, he's asking a question with it at this point. What son doesn't he discipline? In other words, fathers discipline every son, every child that they have. And then in verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He couldn't be more emphatic in those three verses that God's discipline is consistent. He disciplines all of his children. Now, what is he talking about when he means discipline? Is it talking about punishment for doing something wrong? Is it talking about uh, trying to instill things that are good within your life? Is it about correction? Um, I would have to say yes. It involves all of it. Um, Some people have said, well, discipline comes from the word meaning disciple, which means really to teach, to to get people to follow you. And so it's not about punishment, it's about this. In English, our word discipline might come from disciple, but in Greek, it's not that case. So in the New Testament, discipline is, is not the same word as disciple. As we look at it, he also uses words like chastise, reprove, synonymously with the word discipline within this passage. And so he's using he's using both of them. Now, the word paidon means uh, the training of a child. That's the Greek word that's translated discipline in this, in this passage. It means to train a child. It's not necessarily focusing on correcting bad behavior, although it is included within it. The words uh, for chastise and reprove, those ones are specifically focus on correcting bad behavior. And so that gives us the indication that it's included. But there's a couple other things that that indicate that it's this idea, this paidan, this training of the children, it's not all focused on correcting bad behavior. It's also focused on teaching things that are good and healthy. The illustration that he's just been using is of an athlete. And an athlete, what does a coach do with an athlete? He puts them through rigorous exercise. He puts them through suffering in order to strengthen them so that they have the best shot at victory ahead in their life as they participate in those events. And so that's the idea that's been carrying over here. Not only that, but he's looking at the suffering of the people in Hebrews chapter 11. And though they're suffering, being disciplined by their father, they're held up as models of faith. So this word paidon, it does not mean that it's exclusively focused on correcting bad behavior or punishing sin, but it is included within it. You know, we used to call and in, in back in the earlier times in our country, when you went to study in a, in a college or university, you would you would enroll in the, the discipline of math or the discipline of science. It had nothing to do with correcting bad behavior. It had to do with learning, teaching, growing in those areas. But at the same time, we also use the word discipline to talk about punishing our children when they do wrong, correcting them, for the purpose of steering them in the right direction. He's really trying to help these people to understand because they're saying, you know what? I'm going through these hardships in my life. I'm enduring suffering in my life. And the point that he's making is that just confirms your position as God's child. God doesn't want you to have a completely smooth life. It's good that that dawns on us for a moment. God is more concerned about our, our righteousness and our holiness than he is about our relaxation and our enjoyment and our entertainment. We spend pretty good chunks of our life seeking to be pleased and seeking to be entertained and seeking to enjoy different things, different people, different events. God's not nearly as concerned with those things as he is our relationship to him, our personal holiness, our righteousness, our character, our moral fabric. That's what God is more deeply concerned about. Not that He doesn't give us a lot of those other things to enjoy, but they're not the prime focus of our life. And so He's telling them, look, the fact that you're being persecuted for Christ just shows that you are a child of God. Think about that. He says every child of God will be disciplined. Both the positive and the negative ways, because we're all going to blow it, so we're all going to be disciplined for the negative things, for the sinful things that we've done. But we're also going to be disciplined by God. In other words, He's going to bring things into our lives some hardships, some struggles, so that we have to overcome them. And look at what it's based on. It's based on love and acceptance. In other words, the reason God allows the hardship, the struggle into your life is because He loves you. It's because He's already accepted you as His child. It's not because He's angry with you. It's not because uh, He just wants to grind you into the dust because He doesn't accept you. It's actually the opposite of that. You know, I remember with my kids. You know, we had five of them. So a pretty good number of them running around the house. And I remember thinking at different times, as handy as it is to live right across the alley from the church, maybe I should move out of town. And you know why I wanted to move out of town? Because then you'd have a bigger yard for them to mow. Maybe heat with wood. More wood for them to cut and stack and haul in and light fires and that kind of stuff. More snow to shovel. Don't even buy a plow. Let them do the whole driveway. No, you know why? for chores, for chores, because kids need work. You know, I remember I know a long time ago, I remember I told you, we heated our house with wood when I was growing up, and we lived in town. And I remember once as an adult later on talking to my dad, and I said, boy, we must have saved a lot of money in heat over the year, heating with wood all those years. He said, no, we didn't save nothing. I said, what do you mean we didn't save anything? And he says, well, we live in Washington State. Power's cheap there. It's hydroelectric power. We sell it for high prices to places like you in Minnesota. He says, we had cheap power. My dad worked for the power company, so I assume we got some kind of discount maybe. I don't know. And he said, by the time we bought the chainsaw, the trailer, all the gas in the truck, because we'd go up in the mountains and cut, or we'd go out to somebody's orchard and cut up fruit trees. just depends on what was available. We'd go up where the loggers were and cut off slash piles and stuff like that. He said, no. He said, I wasn't. I said, well, then why do we do it? It was a lot of work. Our house didn't have a fireplace. We, we put in a wood stove and drilled a hole through the concrete wall and built a brick thing and went out and found old bricks in a field somewhere and made this thing. And I said, well, why did we do it? He said, you needed some more chores. <laughs> do you know how many times I cursed hauling wood? <laughs> Jim told me before, it heats you four times by the time you burn it up. And he's right. My dad just did it to give me more to do because he knew that work keeps you out of trouble. That having to do things when you don't want to do things develops your character and makes you into a stronger person. That struggle brings strength. He knew those things. And as parents, we think that way. Not that we want to inflict misery on our kids, but we know that if they grow up in the lap of ease and we say, you know what, uh, how about I'll take out the garbage. You, I don't want to get you up from playing your video game. <laughs> Leads to what kind of people? It leads to very self-centered, incompetent people within our society. And we don't want our kids to be that way. We want them to be strong. It's like the old illustration of the cornfield. The cornfield, a farmer told me one time, you don't want it to have too much water. It needs to be able to dig down. It's got to dig for its water. It needs its roots to shoot down. Otherwise, the roots stay too shallow and the corn tips over. He said you need to plant corn in an area where it gets some wind. You don't want a peaceful climate for corn. It needs some wind pushing on those stalks. It strengthens those stalks, gives you good corn. That's what we need in our life. And you know what? God knows that, and that's exactly why He puts that in our life. James chapter 1 says we ought to count it all joy when we enter into trials of various kinds because we know that God is building endurance in our life. And endurance produces a good quality in our life. Romans chapter 8 tells us that everything in our life God allows, He brings into our life, and He works all those things together for our good. We need to understand that when we're going through struggles, it doesn't mean that God is angry with us. It may just very well mean that He's very pleased with us. The motivation behind those things is His own love for us. And that brings us to the other point of that is that we need to understand our Father. Sometimes when something negative or something hurtful or harmful or bad comes away, the way we look at it bad comes into our life, a struggle comes into our life, it's like we think it caught God off guard or something. Because if God really loved me, He wouldn't allow this into my life. Well, yeah, He does really love you, and it might be why He is allowing that into your life. Because He's promised that He'll work everything together for good for those that love God. So that's where we, our focus needs to be. Do we love God? Are we following Him? Are we obedient to Him? Are we walking with Him? You know, I don't always know why God allows some things into my life. In fact, I'd, I'd probably say I probably seldom know why. That's His. He's God. But I do know this. I know that God is good. I know that God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's loving. He's gentle. He's kind. Now, He's also... He's also a God of judgment and wrath, but I've been delivered from those things. I've put my faith in Christ, and I'm walking with Him. I've been delivered from God's judgment and wrath in my life. And so it means that everything that comes into my life, even if it looks negative to my way of thinking, is in my life because my Heavenly Father, who is good and kind and merciful and just and, and, and loving and gracious and gentle, has allowed that into my life. Which means that thing that is in my life, even if it's a tragedy, that tragedy is in my life, is destined to have good and loving and gracious results in my life. It might hurt very much to get there, but it has those intentions, those motivations behind that thing. And you know what? That thing, whatever it is, has not caught God off guard. It wasn't that He didn't see it coming. Oh, man, darn it. He saw it coming. In fact, He directed it. And He's in control. And He's got this. And so it would be foolish for us to wander away from Him. And He's just got to discipline us back. What <laughs> we need to do is trust. He says, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us as they it best. And we respected them for it. That's what, you know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, I didn't always agree with my dad that his rules were always the best way to go. But you know what? I will have to say that I did always respect him in him. And now he's translating that to God and he's saying, well, what about God? Our parents discipline kids for their as best as they can see, but they don't always see it clearly. God sees everything clearly. There isn't anything that He misses. You know, I remember one time I, I took uh, the boys fishing and Zach had hurt himself just before we went. So I went and put a Band-Aid on his thumb or his finger or whatever it was. I don't remember. And then we... Came out, jumped on the four wheeler, and drove, rode down to the river, and we went fishing. We're standing out there on the rocks fishing and stuff, and, and uh, he keeps complaining about this finger. And I tell him, yeah, those those hurt. That's going to hurt for a while, but you know, there's not much you can do about it. Just have to fish. And so we're we're fishing, and, and, and he kept he kept bringing up, Dad, this really hurts. And I said, yeah, it's gonna Zach, and I'm getting kind of tired of it after a little while, and and he he keeps bringing it up, Dad, this burns. And 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 I'm looking at this as a kind of a father son moment, right? You're out standing on rocks, fishing at the river. Great place for a father son moment. And so I'm telling him things like, Zach, enough already, man, you just you're just gonna have to man up. You're just gonna have to toughen up here. This is this is a time for you to learn how to handle pain a little bit. Because there's nothing else can be done. And then pretty soon I look up and see his mom up on the bridge waving her hands frantically. So I go running up the trail, wondering what's happened back home. Nothing's back home except for she found uh the Band-Aid wrappers left on the counter. Zach must have left them there. I wouldn't have done that. But <laughs> she goes to pick up the Band-Aid wrappers left on the counter and notice that it's a wart Band-Aid. And so, you know, for burning off your warts. And so uh, so she yells that to me, and I go sprinting back to Zach and uh, rip that Band-Aid off his finger and stuff his hand in the river and uh, to cool it off. And, and it's all turning black around it and everything. and and that, And now... I will say this in my defense. I thought I was doing best by him. I thought I was doing right by him. I will also say there was an apology or two involved in that <laughs> next conversation. But you know, I was I was trying to. I was looking at it like a, a build up. My son, you can take it. Any bites over there? <laughs> you know. You know. I was, uh, I was trying to have this father son moment, but I failed miserably. And uh, but the way I saw, I didn't know it was a wart bandage. Should have read the package but I failed. You know what? That's an awesome thing. God is never going to stick a work bandage on your open wound. Right? <laughs> he, he, he knows. He knows what... He's, he's not missing something. So when something comes in and it feels like God has stuck a work bandage on your open wound, it's, it's not. There's something, there's something in this good for you. There's something through this that He's going to strengthen you. That He's going to build you up. He's going to strengthen your character. Not everything is enjoyable, but He did promise that He will work everything To our good. that takes faith to be able to understand that. To know that yes, God is good. And He's in control of my life. But I'm experiencing some very painful things in my life right now. And to be able to trust Him through that.